You're listening to I Quit My Job, a podcast about songwriting with your hosts, Derek Harrison and Travis Reitzma. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hi, I'm Derek Harrison, and you're listening to I Quit My Job. Today, our guest is a good friend and a great songwriter, Luke McKilson from Kitchener, Ontario. I first met Luke at Graffiti's in Kensington Market in Toronto when I was playing with a band called Glass Passenger back when I was still living in Montreal. We later did a string of gigs together, and Luke and I organized it together. The first time I really spoke to him was on the phone to plan these gigs, and he had to assure me that he was legitimately excited about the prospect of doing shows together, despite his monotone voice. Ever since that tour, we've been pretty good friends, even though we've never really lived in the same city together. We always keep in touch. We've done many, many shows together. And uh, the most recent time we played together was uh, in August. We did a string of shows with Max Marshall, including one up in up in Muskoka at Lake Bay's Brewery. And Luke's folks were kind enough to let us stay in Keswick that night. I'll always remember I was showing a new song to uh, to Luke and Max that night. It's got kind of a fancy fingerstyle part. And after I finished the song, Luke said, there's something really interesting about the way you play guitar. It looks like you're going to fuck up all the time, but then you don't. Talk about a backhanded compliment. So Luke, have been, Luke and I have been good friends for a while, and uh, he's gotten to know Travis a little bit recently as well. So we weren't afraid to go pretty quickly to some heavy subjects in this particular episode of I Quit My Job. So... This is the first real episode that we're following the format, which we uh, well, we put a lot of thought into deciding on the format, and what we've, what we've chosen is just the long-form interview. So every two weeks, we're going to have just a loose, unstructured conversation with a different songwriter and see where it goes. So now I'll take you to Luke McKilson. Prepare yourself and enjoy. Bandcamp. I ran into Ken on Monday, and uh, and he was like, "Oh, I saw you playing with Luke Ma- Michelson. Michelson. Mc- <laughs> what is it? Mitchell's. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and he he does that every time. Like he'll never he'll always need to be told how to pronounce your name. Right. He's just that kind of guy. That's fine. <laughs> well, the other night at my CD release, Ken Yates said. Luke Michelson is up next. I said that at the show at the FM Lounge with Glass Passenger, the first time we ever played together. Yeah. I was like, thanks for Luke Michelson for opening up and everything. But it's yep. kind of and fun. And you yelled you know? out from the audience and corrected me. Yeah. <laughs> I felt, felt that. And there, that thus began our long relationship between you and I of feeling bad <laughs> yeah. about things we've done to each other. Yeah, like I was supposed to be here an hour ago and I just feel terrible <laughs> where i feel like most touring musicians would just be like yeah that's the road yeah, the road. yeah so you're conscientious yeah. which yeah. is a very non-musical quality yeah it's true actually it, it's funny you bring that up because uh the first time well, we we met before uh at the fm lounge years ago but i don't think we really registered each other uh no. fully but uh i came to see your show at Tulula last month here in windsor and um which was in november it was at the end of October, end of October exactly right. a month ago. Yeah, and so, um, so you and I, if you're okay with talking about this, and if you're oh, not, yeah, sure. please stop me. But uh, 
the reason one of the reasons i wanted to come out part partly because derek speaks so highly of you as a musician and partly because i found out that you and i actually went through the very same struggle or at least um we we had pretty much the exact same kind of cancer yeah um had slash have in my case i'm still not out of the woods yet but um and one of the first things you did was was say, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell you what my experience is like. And then you did say that your your cancer had recurred a year later yeah. and you had to go through chemotherapy, which I have yet yet to do. And uh, you you felt so bad about it. You thought you'd like ruined my life I that know. you had called Derek the next day to get him to call me to make sure that I was okay. And like, I yeah, well, I had this really life, Derek. Yeah. And then I call. I had to call you to make. Yeah, did Luke ruin your life? <laughs> I had a really bad experience though with another uh, guy who had testicular cancer. Like somebody, like had me meet up with him because he was feeling anxious, mm. and we met up for coffee. And we talked. I told him about my experience, thinking it would help. And then <laughs> I heard back from the coordinator a week later that it had worsened his anxiety. <laughs> oh. He never wanted me to contact him again. <laughs> so it just didn't work out well, I guess. Well, I mean, you're alive. Yes. That should have been testament enough to him, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're back to your normal life. That's three, true. three years, cl- three years uh, clean, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still do have, um, you know, a little bit of the shock of going through that is still left over. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of, anxiety but I th- but i think only time can really heal that like through mm-hmm. most of the professionals i've talked to mm-hmm. yeah um like therapy and psychiatrists and and stuff um most of them just say it's it's kind of like post traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder not that i'm have been like officially diagnosed with that mm-hmm. yeah. but uh speaking of that and that sort of I know that when I'm when I'm feeling anxious, one of the things I I do is, and I'm sure this is true of all of us, but like I I go pick up a guitar and I play it. You know, maybe I write something. Um, did you find that songwriting played a role therapeutically while you were going through cancer and since? I would say like in in part, yeah. But um, a lot of the times, like I just didn't feel like playing. But if I did feel like playing usually like when I play it allows you to stay in the moment mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you're not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow what's going to happen next week where will I be in a year from now or or thinking about the past regretting stuff like things that I've done in the past when you're playing music you're in that moment and I think that that's one of the things I've learned helps me deal with the anxiety and mm-hmm. stress so definitely um even even when i'm on stage and performing last night at the london music club i was just kind of being appreciative that look i'm here in the moment and mm-hmm. if i was doing this like right before i die i'll be happy mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow yeah. i think i think that comes through on, on your on your latest recording uh oh surround me where I think you can feel that in the moment and kind of enjoying or appreciating what you have. Uh, there, there's certainly some dark moments on the album, but I think overall it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty positive album. It's a pretty mm-hmm. like, you know, like you said, in the, when you're reading the review, you know, like it reminds us that we're living this life and, and uh, you know, I, I think that 
Like it sounds to me like like you're almost working through and trying to be okay with that in that album. Yeah, definitely. That's it's something I'm trying to mortality when you're faced with that. How do you come come to grips with it? And I often think of this time when my friend came over to visit me when I was going through chemo and he came in the front door and actually both of his parents were going through like terminal cancer at the time and he just came over to visit and it was just like another person who was going through chemotherapy mine wasn't terminal but he said um what what are you like are you afraid to die like almost in the first few minutes that I was talking to him and I just had to think about it and and I think that is really the question that causes me anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's like, What's if I can think about that and be like, um, you know what, it, maybe it's not going to be that bad at the end of your life, like right before you you die, if you can accept that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did it you, doesn't have to be as scary. But yeah, so I was surprised when I heard your album a little bit at how joyous it sounds. It's because I know I've never seen you play with a band and I've, I've, I mean, I've seen you play dozens of times now and, uh, and I know your songs well, but there's, it's very, you know, the songs are quite quiet generally Mm -hmm. and folksy and, and, um, low key. Mm -hmm. So I was, so the first time I sat down with the album and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff going on and it's upbeat and, you know, choirs (laughs) and horns and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I was like, what? I didn't know Luke could sound like this. I didn't know this was... He had these cards up his sleeve. Oh, and it sounds, even, even vocally, it sounded different. Like, yeah. it's the first thing Joe and I said. Like, wow, this doesn't sound like the guy that was playing at Tallulah. But, like, mm-hmm. equally as good, just it yeah. was a very different sound. Well, definitely, it's... I do try to go for a more polished sound, like, when I make a record. And um, so I think that's probably what you're hearing. There's just... There's more vocals going on. The vocals are wider. There's more reverb. And I think um, there's one way to connect with people when you're playing in a cafe or you're playing solo. You right. can't have all the luxury of of a big, full-out, full-blown show. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't also imagine my songs in a full band setting, which is what I've done for the album and, and kind of give people that, um, glimpse into my imagination. Cause the, mm-hmm. like these are just fully imagined arrangements fully of my songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now you're doing gigs with a band and solo. That's and right. Do you have a, well, do you have a preference? Uh, actually, uh, we only played one show as a band on Thursday, and I, f- and I found that obviously it's a lot more challenging um, dealing with, like playing with other musicians because I have to be more technically. Mm-hmm. You can't screw tight. up. Yeah, I can't yeah. just start making things up, which I like to do a lot yeah. when mm-hmm. I play. And um, yeah, earlier you were just singing to Travis's cat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounded great. Um, so it's totally different that way, but I think like it really went, went well as a maiden sonic voyage. 
and I really did enjoy that feeling of playing with a band like uh, when it during the songs where it wasn't stressing me out that the <laughs> tempo was too fast or I started the song too fast yeah. and my phrasing wasn't going to work with the band. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little more stressful playing with the band, but I think I was in a rock band six or seven years ago. And once you play, you know, 10 shows together and you can start refining stuff and it gets a little bit more relaxed mm-hmm. and you're trusting the band. Like, I absolutely love that feeling of playing in a band. Yeah, and you get just tighter and tighter. Yeah. Um, Pat Kreef said, who's fronted many bands, said that he finds a sweet spot around 30 shows. 30 shows, After yeah. 30 shows, you just, this this switch that happens and you're all just not thinking about it anymore and just, mm. you're just in the moment then. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. like, see, that's know, the thing. Academic. I wasn't able to be in the moment when, mm-hmm. yet with my band. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Are you planning to keep with it for a while? Yeah. Or is it just for this album launch sort of? Uh, well, this, um, it's very kind of feel it out as it goes with the with the current lineup. But we're playing two more shows, um, December 12th in Guelph, venue to be determined, possibly Silence. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's uh, like a upstairs... Um, isn't it? Or? Not sure. Actually, I haven't been to a show there yet, but I hear it's a great venue in Guelph. Mm-hmm. And I've then heard good things. we're going to play the Boathouse in Kitchener for my CD release on December 13th. The Boathouse. It's a great venue. There. It's going to yeah, be a you, really fun show. Yeah. Tell me about that one. It's a really great venue. My, uh, my good musical friend, Stephen Trothan, has a new act called Tree Phones, and he just released a new CD and graphic novel combo oh. with an artist oh, friend cool. of his. So we're going to do like a double release. And he's like one of these guys who he has folk songs and you hear him play on his own. But then he also has this amazing, like fully arranged new album <laughs> under the name Tree Phones. And yeah, it's just awesome. Cool sounds, good sonic landscapes. So how do you feel about getting this album out after all this time? I feel I feel really good about it. I think I think all the songs work really well um together and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I am super happy about it. I'm the most <laughs> proud of this album. It's In- my fourth release. Now? Including the band, including the band, yeah. So that was the band, and then there was "Burn to the Ground," yeah, and then the the uh, the five song. What was it called? Metal in the Natural yeah, Order, which is mm. the closest thing to your live show that yes. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And now this. So yeah, for example, a fan last night asked me what my new album was like, and when I told him it was fully arranged, he asked if I had any like more any, just acoustic, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this. Metal in a Natural Order is a five-song EP, and it just sounds like me on stage. Mm. It's good to have both. And I also can please everybody. Uh, did a five-song bonus EP that's getting mastered right now, and it's just acoustic. Is it songs from the album? Uh, Pine Needles and Color of My Scarf mm. from the mm. album, and then two new originals, <coughs> and uh, one cover of Doug Paisley, No One But You. No One But You. Nice. Yeah. Do you know that song? Uh, no. It's it's really good. <laughs> Everyone, check out Doug Paisley, No One But You. 
and I saw him play at Guelph University a couple of weeks ago and asked him if I had to do anything to cover his song and put it out. And he's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you hope Just anyway. <laughs> send me a copy to see how it sounds. And then his record label is going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is you why, never this know, is why you, you never should, know who's got their hands on a song. You right? probably you publish under limited creative commons and there you go. Right. People can just cover your stuff without going through the hoops. But I want the previous one the minute of this interview was untrue facts. <laughs> oh, no. Copyright group will not be published. Yeah. <laughs> don't listen <laughs> will to not us. Not be releasing no one but we you don't by know. Paisley. <laughs> I have a, a question about the releasing of an album in terms of the whole cancer thing. Yeah. Do you do you think as a as a creator as a creative person um, there's an aspect of legacy involved in releasing something? Do you, it's like you want to leave something for posterity. I think I think partly that's that's not why I start out to do something. I don't think like oh I want to have a legacy. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's the best motivation. No, <laughs> but now that I look back, I'm I'm happy that. There's that it exists. Um, I have like 40 professionally recorded songs to my name now, so mm. it's it's getting uh, it's getting up there where hopefully I'll leave something. Yeah, I, I yeah. released my first this summer, and I recorded it the previous year. And uh, I remember during the recording process, um, or during the planning and arranging process, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like pissed off that I was making no time for her and I just had this need I had such a need to get it done because I've been a musician for so long and I've never recorded an album because I would just never had the self-confidence I didn't think I was ready and then it just got to a point where I'm like I have to do this or I'm gonna die <laughs> I need to pass yeah, you this. gotta and do you, it it's it's like a kidney stone yeah and it's gonna be painful to get out and then when it's out it'll be like oh thank god and it did and it just feels so much better now and it, wipe, yeah. it wipes the slate clean and can, I find with, with me when I release an album, it kind of, it's like, okay, those songs are done now, you know, and mm -hmm. I can, I mean, they're not done, but you know, it allows me the space to write more. To move forward. Right, yeah. To move forward. Yeah. And try different things. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny because like when I was recording Outside the Factory Gates in 2009, fall of 2009, that was the. Oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the year my mother died. Right. And so my mother died actually right in the middle of recording it. Mm -hmm. And I remember this like mad dash to try and record it so that she could hear it because I had nothing else really like I had I had Bluebeard previous to that but, but you it, had you were so sick of it by then. I was so sick of it and not overly proud of it uh, so when I, I was gonna be I knew I was gonna be proud of outside the factory gates and so I wanted to get it to her before she died and of course it didn't end up happening which which you know sucks but at the same time it, it I do feel like in that way there was like I wanted to put as much of myself into it mm -hmm. as I could because I knew that she would be listening to it yeah. But uh, like so that's sort of a different way of thinking about that legacy issue. Right? That kind of reminded me uh, of a similar story from my friend Anthony Lohan, oh, yeah. who recorded oh, okay. his album, and and his mother was actually dying right around that time, and he wrote her like a a song called Mother and finished it in time and and wow. played it for her, and it was like incredibly incredibly emotional and and probably like the best thing he could have, he could have done. given mm -hmm. her and, <laughs> and it was just wow. like a great song do you find then uh because he was obviously able to 
process those feelings kind of right away. Mm. I know Derek has talked about you have a six month gestation period. I'm I always might, writing about six months back in my life generally yeah and i'm longer than that it often takes me years to process something to the point where i can write a song about it do you find you have a gestation period or are you just able to process things as they happen like for example color my scarf you moved to kitchener how long after you moved there did you write that song like oh less than a week so it was like immediate (laughs) yeah I i i like doing immediate yeah i don't not to say i haven't ever written things that that about things that have happened in the past and so often i do think of song ideas well that, that that's probably works yeah. i mean you're such a good improviser i do really like to improvise i was actually thinking about that because um, i know i'm pretty sure joel plaskett um, approaches has approached quite a few albums by just you know booking some studio time yeah. and then writing the songs Mm-hmm. Like that week or yeah, as he's heading down to the studio <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. It's like a motivation. In the it's car, like a deadline uh, yeah. tape recorder. And, yeah. and I, that actually s- seems like a something that I would like to do yeah. and that I believe I could do. Uh, so yeah. I think I do want to try that at some point. Could be the next album maybe. Or maybe maybe uh, next week because I'm week. going to visit Jim Bryson and and check out his studio. Really? Next, so is he, he's next Thursday? So maybe I'll Kingston. write an album before then and we'll record it all next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that can that can lead us into uh, editing your editing process. Um, do you have one? Do you is everything you write something you want to keep, or do you find that you're leaving ninety percent of it on the cutting room floor, thirty percent of it? Like, what, what would you say? I'd say uh, most of the stuff that I write, I don't keep, but I actually don't even write it down. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll like uh, write a, a fragment of a song. Like you were doing and, earlier about my cat. Well, <laughs> no, that was more improv. That, then I wasn't even like thinking I'm going to keep this at all. Uh, but a lot of times I just do that, like improvise. And then if, if something comes out of that that I feel like can have staying power, I'll repeat it a little bit more. And usually if when I get that feeling that, okay, somehow I know that this lyric or this guitar hook is something that's that can stay around and I can use it again and perform it, then I'll try to write the song like right then, mm-hmm. like in an... And usually in my songs, sitting? yeah, in one sitting, usually they take like one hour to to two hours and I'll just like commit them to memory as I'm writing them. Mm-hmm. And then once they're fully committed to memory and I'm happy with it, I'll write down like the words so that when I go back to it the next day or later that day, I can remember it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I find like that's the way most of my songs get written and I'll and it just comes from you know kind of fooling around. Mm-hmm. It's it's not fooling around, but it's just very playfully yeah. um just singing things and improvising. You're quite funny on stage. Oh, thanks. Your your performance <laughs> you, you have a lot of a lot of uh uh banter and and jokes in your performance. That's right. Yeah. And do you think that is an important part for a 
when it's a guy with a guitar on stage? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just a lot more, it's a lot more fun and easier to make a connection with people when you're joking around and just trying to get a feel for people and loosen them up a bit. Mm -hmm. You don't want everyone sitting there like thinking, Oh, we got to be so quiet. And he's so serious about his folk songs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But I have, I mean, I'm the same way, but did you start playing solo shows before that band or were you rock rock and roll first and then became a solo artist well i had always done uh solo performances uh, dating back to probably when i was 15 or 16 mm-hmm. like i i would not be too afraid to jump up on a stage in front of a hundred people or the whole high school or whatever and just play <laughs> like a song on my own um it might not have been original um but yeah I, w- I would always it was always uh something that i did it was just get up and perform on my own i also like to to act in a lot of you know school productions this was up in keswick in high school uh yeah i lived in keswick but i went to high school in newmarket newmarket yeah hey. sacred heart catholic go. high school in newmarket what newmarket what are you pointing at me for aren't you from there or no newcastle oh damn <laughs> never mind different thing altogether no serendipitous <laughs> connection here no well it's funny uh, I, I have family in keswick uh they're step family but they've been in my family since i was very little so mm-hmm. i've been to keswick many a time and it's it's funny how it becomes the butt end of jokes a lot oh, for that yeah. area you know like for because aurora's around there new market mm-hmm. like you said it's sort of just north of toronto um and you were mentioning that on stage mm-hmm. when you played in windsor last time yeah and uh do you find that like how does how does that inform you as a songwriter like where where you're from like if you, if you grew mm-hmm. up in keswick do you find that like, i don't know where i'm trying to go with this exactly, when, when, did, when did you leave keswick uh, when I was 18 or 19, I moved okay. to Guelph. So you were, you, so you basically grew up your whole life in Keswick. Grew up my whole life in Keswick. Well, yeah, no, it, I think it informs my live show where, you know, people do usually want to know where you fr- where you're from, and it really, I have to make a joke of it because yeah. there's <laughs> almost always going to be someone in the audience who knows in Ontario yeah. who knows <laughs> a relative who lives in Keswick, and it is always the butt end of jokes and it always was when i was going to high school like especially when i went to newmarket in grade nine like people would just almost spit on me because i was from (laughs) keswick so it's not even the butt end of jokes it's like disrespect for keswick it's real not joking no this was only like you know the first week of grade nine awkwardness yeah then once you kind of just show yourself and you're like if you joke along with people like, yeah, Keswick, it is kind of funny because people were saying like, Oh, you live on a farm or you're a hick or whatever. I get that too. So, and, and then like a week later, I remember sitting at our dining room table and as I was cutting into a steak, I heard a cow go like (laughs) from the farm across the street. Like, so there actually was a farm near me, even though I, grew up in like a suburban mm-hmm. well that, that's sort of the joke about keswick which is which i i know people who take great offense to it like i said i have, I have <laughs> uh family who grew up there and they 
they get really mad when people sort oh, of yeah. sort of uh, trash it because I think there is like an element of classism there because it's, it there seems is, it yeah. seems like it's more like given the surrounding like Aurora is the richest community in in Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, Newmarket's not you know for for the uh, the lower classes either. But mm-hmm. Keswick is sort of this weird. It's changing. I know it's very suburban now, yeah. but for a long time it was this sort of weird. You know, there were still a lot of farms. There were still a lot of like working mm-hmm. class families that lived there. It was still a relatively cheap place to live. Yeah, like you could, like maybe, get by on on welfare or social mm-hmm. services. Yeah, <laughs> subsidies <laughs> and stuff. So, um, and just you know, go out and ice fish for your dinner. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, there is sort. There was sort of a classist thing, um, but I guess it didn't. Uh, that didn't really affect me since I did grow up in a in a more middle class family where my dad was a teacher and both of my parents had a pretty solid job. So it's interesting. Ron's, I was pretty well off that way. Ron Leary's parents were teachers too. That's true. The connection here. There's a connection. Here. <laughs> I wonder how many songwriters, songwriters have teacher have teacher parents. parents. When did you start writing songs? I started writing songs uh, when I was. I guess 13 probably when I was in grade eight and early start. Yeah. Yeah. Just friends would come over. Um, I had, I think two collaborators when I was in grade seven (laughs) or grade eight. And we wrote a song about the girls volleyball team and about our friend Melissa's birthday party. (laughs) Like we went to the party and then we thought that it deserved a song. (laughs) So even right then you were processing things as they haven't pretty yeah, much. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd go and play them at the school and like the girls would be like all embarrassed or maybe they just thought we were stupid. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's fine. All it was fun though. Like they uh, weren't great songs or anything. But so how long did it take before you started writing good songs? I would say probably there were like, or at least passable snippets. Palatable. There were pieces of, songs and like good snippets by the time i was like 15 or 16 that's pretty that's that's impressive but maybe not necessarily lyrically okay there and then more like when i moved out to guelph and when i was 18 or 19 that's when i like one of my best songs i think that i've written is jack pine and i wrote that when i was 19 jack pine is a great song yeah, so that song's 12 years old now. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. That goes way back. I was barely playing guitar at 19. Yeah. <laughs> I could I could strum some chords, but that was about it. I was writing songs, but the f- I think the first good song I wrote was Breaking Promises. And that was... Uh, that wasn't very long ago, really. It was when I was in university, so... When I knew you. 21 or something. Yeah. Yeah, that was when I... Uh, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I remember, I remember the day after that, that what that song's about yeah. very well, actually. It was, <laughs> um, you also have that, one of my favorite songs of yours is uh, January Snow, right. which is based on a book by... Michael Ondaatje. Oh, yes, yes. How is it, do you think you have a literary approach to lyric writing? Well, I do think in a way that I, that I do because um, I'm an English major, me too. There's a connection here. Yeah. See? <laughs> English literature major, music minor, and I kind of always thought like uh, these are the things I like to do, like read 
creative fiction and mm-hmm. explore all different types of music and, and different elements of music. So I do think that uh, the way that I approach reading novels and like what I enjoy about novels is like a poetic approach to like creating scenes and um, interweaving those scenes with characters and kind of um, having a novel relate to your own feeling and, and being able to connect a character in a story to a character in your own life. I have this, uh, or I'm, I was inspired by January Snow to try to write a song based on a novel. Mm-hmm. And the novel I picked was Truth and Bright Water by Thomas King. And I'm still kind of working on it. Like I've played it live a few times, but I think it needs more mm-hmm. verses because it doesn't quite get anywhere. It just sort of like takes images out of the book. Yeah. Without actually getting to. That's what January Snow does. Yeah, but it, it feels like really... it tells a story in a way. I think Mine I just try to chug yet. it along quickly, but. Yeah, because I took one of the characters of from the story and mm-hmm. and just sort of attached images to that yeah. character, though it, it's not really indicative of the story's plot yeah. line. No, that's true. Did you have like career aspirations outside of music before this kind of fell into place? Uh, not or really. Or did you always no. want to do music? Was that always your priority? I think I always wanted to do music. Um, but I've always been a, a teacher as well. I started teaching guitar when I was 16 and, and 17. And I really still enjoy teaching guitar, which I don't hear about 90% of my guitar playing friends don't like don't teaching like guitar at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love it. So I think my other aspiration is, yeah, there is kind of, a teaching gene in my family (laughs) and uh i do like teaching so yeah if music didn't really work out i was planning on being a teacher yeah i remember you were talking about teachers college at one point yeah i did i did go yeah yeah. i have my teacher's degree nice yeah so i now you can charge your students more yeah (laughs) i hang my degree up on the wall in my lesson room (laughs) nice gives you credit and i say pay me more (laughs) so you have uh, that's not why you should pay me more it's just because i am good at it (laughs) it seems to me that you're pretty well set up right now with your students and your business at uh with uh stonebridge Mm -hmm. and your music and this great album that just came out and long-term stable relationship and a nice house in Kitchener. Um, <laughs> you make it sound so. What are you peachy. trying to say, Derek? What I'm trying to say is that, but you also have this. What more you said is left? You, you still, you said you're still kind of dealing with anxiety as, uh-huh. as related to the uh, from the cancer, and if if you didn't have that anxiety, do you think you could write songs? <laughs> I yeah. think there has to be some negativity to inspire uh-huh. good art. Would uh, you? Agree yeah, with I've, that? I've heard that. Um, Yeah, I think it can I think it can help. But also I'm I don't think that I'm not gonna be able to write songs if I have like a great year with no worries. I think <laughs> I think I'll be able to still write songs. See, I think I wouldn't. I think it would end no. ruin it for me. Well just keep sabotaging yourself. <laughs> I do. Not this is the thing. Yes. Derek and I have had many a conversation about this. About self-destructiveness. Uh, you know, about self-destructiveness in order to serve our songwriting purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the same way. Like I, I need to be, 
I need to have, maybe it's not anxiety. I need to have something. Yeah, for me, it's a way of, of digesting something. It's I a way of dealing with something. I can't write happy songs. I've never been able to do it. Uh, so if I'm really happy from having a good stretch, I don't really need to pick up the guitar and write a song. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's when I'm going through some shit or after I've gone through some shit that I'm like, okay, I need to process this somehow. And yeah. the only way I can really do it is either through creative writing or through, through, um, through writing a song. The thing mm-hmm. is, I always, I always need to write a song or need to try to write a song. But if I'm not processing something, the songs just aren't any good. That's the thing. But I'm what if you're it, but processing um, appreciation or processing gratitude? Don't, you don't process that. I don't. I don't do it that. It just happens. But you can. <laughs> people, people can. well-adjusted people, I feel gratitude they do. is a good practice. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's a good thing, but it doesn't. I don't think it needs any processing. I think it comes in and it feels good and everything, you know. Um, but what if you? It's not something I need to navigate. What if you kind of look at? Okay, then actually, this that's totally defeats my argument because I was going to say, <laughs> what if you look at like a negative thing and then and then try to. Um, just be grateful for that's that's the process it's like the old blues blues singers oh, you know, like, shit but see well in your case like i think you try <laughs> so to i won that is what you're saying? yeah i guess so i think what you're trying to say is that, like you're trying to you say you you have gratitude for life or you you know mm-hmm. that you've you you're, you're you have some gratitude for the fact that you're still alive when after you went through this you know facing yeah. your mortality and whatever level you did and but that still came out of something inherently negative yeah. that you yeah. got cancer that's the source. <laughs> well my my song <laughs> One of the songs on my uh, new album that actually CBC Morning Show, uh, I think Wei Chen played it, and um, it's called Well Maintained. Oh yeah. And I wrote it. It's it's really like a humorous song yeah. mm-hmm. in my mind, and it I don't really think it's that negative, and in a way, like I almost. I'm not as proud of it because it doesn't dig as deep. It <laughs> right. just, it just kind of, kind of skims the surface. It's surfacey and it just says like, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm like okay. I got, I have nothing to complain about. Like even though I make very little money, like even if whatever, I'm still looked after and I've got, as you said, a great apartment and mm-hmm. a fun job and fun people in my life. So yeah. I, I actually really like that song. It's probably yeah, one of my top two or three favorite yeah. songs on the album. Yeah, and so I think I do. I do have the ability to write songs that are just kind of fun and not too. And they turn out good. Deep, and they turn out and good. That's a great example that it's yeah. it's a thing. It, it, it's possible. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe but I should try. <laughs> it's taken definitely the majority of my songs are not like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it helps an album. Um, especially like mine to, to keep it a little bit, you know, self-deprecating, not self-deprecating, just funny. And I'd like to explore just writing about different topics other than myself, other than really. Yourself. Cause I'm just, I'm already well-maintained. <laughs> gotta go, yeah. you gotta go find the people who aren't and write about them. Write about them. So. Is there anything, um, you want to cover? Uh, yes, just the fact that you should check out my new album, mm-hmm. which is true. called yes. Oh Surround Me. And again, it's on LukeMcKilson.com. Spell that. Spell that. I think we lost the part where I we spelled did. it. We did. We lost so it. So it's uh, Luke, and my last name is M-I-C-H-I-E-L 
S-E-N, and it's pronounced McKilson. Not Michelson, not, not Mitchelson. No. <laughs> it's, yeah, McKilson. So for anyone introducing me on stage down the road, that's the best time to know Once how again, to say it. So I would McKilson. say definitely go to my website and uh, check out the songs there. There's a SoundCloud streaming and yeah, send me an email. I'm very approachable. And uh, you also, because we lost this part too. Right. Yeah. Um, you work at Stonebridge. You work for Stonebridge. Explain, explain right. your working situation. Let's talk about Stonebridge again. Yeah, yeah. Stonebridge. Stonebridge is fun. It's fun to talk <laughs> about. Yeah. So what we do is uh, we import these beautiful boutique, uh, handcrafted guitars from the Czech Republic, and this company called Furk F U R C H. Um, if you want to look up their web- website, it's F-U-R-C-H dot C-Z for Czech Republic. And um, so that company makes the guitars that we import and distribute to North America. And my job is to prospect artists, so professional artists and emerging artists, like around um, any artists who play out live a lot and have great YouTube videos are really good candidates. And then uh, what I do is hook them up with a discount on like the perfect guitar for them. So it's a lot of fun and I meet a lot of songwriters and helps keep me current in the whole songwriting circle. Mm-hmm. Where, where can people find out about, about that? Uh, Stonebridgeguitars.com. Okay. So just go to stonebridgeguitars.com uh, you can read about the artist program there. You can see what artists are using our guitars already. Mm-hmm. And like, I will just say like they're fantastic guitars. Yeah. I've played a few and they're I, very, mm-hmm. very, very, they're nice. very nice. Yeah. They're like, you know, mid-level, uh, quality boutique acoustics, um, kind of like in the level of like a Callings or, or Santa Cruz guitar, but at a slightly better price point I would say. <laughs> and uh, they do all each one of them is has like a hand vo- hand voiced top or custom voiced top so when they cut the top wood for the guitar um each one becomes a different thickness because the luthier will actually uh, check for optimal um voicing hmm. so that you get the most like overtones and nuances from your guitar and it doesn't sound like a glued cardboard box yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a magical responsive tool to inspire your songwriting that's great mm-hmm. uh do you want to play a song yeah sure all right okay so yeah this song's called pine needles and i was when i wrote it i had just been learning a cover of is it you by Blue Rodeo for my for my uncle's Chris or for my uncle's 50th birthday he had hired me to do some music and asked me to cover the song is it you i wonder and still it makes me laugh is it you that i'm na, na, na? that's how it goes <laughs> so after i finished learning that song i just continued playing with the capo on fret five and it was just one morning sitting at the dining room table and the song came out like really fast all right so this is pine needles pine needles by luke mckielson mm-hmm. 
Coffee in the morning Doesn't clear the frog in my throat Doesn't serve to wake me Leave that to the sound of the crows I don't spend time Swimming in my thoughts It's not thinking that Created sky and rock And I stop thinking that Anything revolves around me Oh, surround me When I stand, there will be pine needles on my knees. Rather than noon time. I'll go back into night So you don't know where I am Just that I am alive And now it's evening At the base of this tree And I am still here No one's coming for me And I stop thinking that anything revolves around me Oh, surround me And when I stand, there will be pine needles On my knees And when they fall off You will see indentations On me Indentations On my knees Oh, surround me Oh, surround me Oh, surround me Oh, surround me Surround me.
I'm not going to lie to you, you guys. Uh, sitting in a room with Derek and Luke while he played uh, that song definitely choked me up. I, it, uh, his performance on that song was, uh, after that emotional conversation we had, was, was just really, uh, was really great. Luke's uh, a phenomenal performer and is quickly becoming a, a very close friend of mine. And, and obviously he's been a close friend of Derek's for a long time. Um, just a couple of things uh, that we didn't really touch on in the episode. Uh, we, obviously, Luke and I talked a bit about having the same type of testicular cancer and uh, and our battles with that. And, you know, I, it'd be remiss of me not to mention the fact that, uh, you know, while I was going through that, uh, I was talking to Luke quite a bit. And, I mean, without him, without someone who's been through the exact same things that I was going through, without him being there sort of to talk to, I'm not sure how well I would have uh, dealt with, with what I was going through. He was a big part of, of me getting through that. And, and as I continue to go through that, uh, to this day, but yeah, that was, that was a really great conversation we had. And I'm really glad that we got to talk to Luke so early on in the podcast, uh, as our first official guest. I think that, uh, that shows, that shows you just how much he means to both Derek and I as a songwriter and as a performer and as a person. So in two weeks, we'll have, uh, Taylor Ashton, He's the the lead singer and uh, songwriter in Fish and Bird, which is which is a fantastic ba- uh, band. If you've never heard of them, uh, you should check them out at fishandbird.com. Uh, he'll be on on April eighth. So now that we're up and running, we have uh, all of our social media stuff worked out. Specifically, you can find us on Twitter at iqmjpod. You can go to our website where you can listen to the podcast, find out about uh, tour dates for both Derek and I. Uh, that's at iqmjpod.com. Uh, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash iqmjpod. Uh, if you want to be on the show or you know a songwriter who you think should be on the show, um, you can email us at iqmjpod at gmail.com. Now you can subscribe on iTunes to listen to us. That's finally all worked out. But if you'd rather listen to us on SoundCloud, you can find us at soundcloud.com slash iquitmyjob with dashes between all of those words. We'll see you in two weeks. I quit my job, I quit my job, I quit my job, I'm free today.